and welcome to the fourth episode of Call Your Broker, where we attempt to educate consumers on all things insurance. I have with me Giovanni Mancini from Treadstone Risk Management. I have with me John DiMartino from Liberty Benefit Advisors, and I'm Matthew Strzok from Treadstone Risk Management. So today's episode is a little bit different. We're going to do this from time to time. Uh, it's a little bit of a mailbag episode. We get questions from our clients and people that we talk to on a daily basis, and we just want to take this opportunity to cut a short little episode and uh, answer some of those questions for you. So go ahead and say hello, guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's everyone doing? So the first question that we had come up was uh, we have some small group employers that have uh, small group health policies, and based off of their medical loss ratio, they received a rebate uh, this year. And so uh, I'm going to ask you, John, uh, why did they get the rebate? And, uh, you know, were they doing something well or, you know, uh, something along that line? And what can they do with the rebate once they get it? Sure. Uh, so the medical loss ratio rebates came into play with the Affordable Care Act. And basically what that said is that a portion of every person's premium has to go towards paying claims, and that's 80% or 85% of all of your medical and RX premium needs to go towards paying claims. And if it doesn't, uh, then the insurer has to give some of that money back to the employer, right? Um, so the law requires that uh, if uh, they didn't contribute 80 or 85%, that they have to give that back to the employer by September 30th of every year. So this has been a few years running. Um, so the question is, when we get that money, or if we get that money, what do we do with it? Mm. What can yep. we do with it, right? And the laws for public versus private sector employers are a little bit different. Private sector employers are governed by a federal law called ERISA, uh, which, um, which puts them as a fiduciary. So there's certain things they have to do with plan assets. Um, and the rules are pretty, pretty clear on what they have to do. But for public employers, uh, no such rule applies. Uh, so they released some interim final rules a couple years ago um, that basically said you have to take some of that money and give it back to the employees. And, and there's a couple ways to do that. So what you do is you look at the total amount contributed by the employees uh, versus the total premium. So let's say the premium is a million dollars and the employees paid $200,000 of that in their contributions, then you have to give them 20% of the rebate. Mm -hmm. And you can distribute that rebate to all the employees equally. Um, Does that as, come in the form of a check, or how does that yep, come? Yep, you can just add it to their payroll line, uh, and it, it would be taxable. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the other thing to note, too. It's not, it's not a pre-tax um, uh, contribution. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. You have about three months to, to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So we suggest as soon as you get the rebate, if you can do that quick math, do it. Uh, and if you need help, call your broker. Yep. Exactly. All right, so um, the next question that we have come up, uh, is out of the uh, kind of the property and casualty arena, even though it's an accident and health line of coverage. Uh, it has to do with travel accident insurance and uh, how that kind of interacts with, you know, wh why do we need it? We have workers' comp coverage. We have general liability coverage. You know, this applies to both uh, entities within the, the public realm as well as within the private and commercial realm, uh, not-for-profits, whatnot. So, you know, why do we have travel accident? Um, and also, uh, there's something related, related to it called volunteer accident coverage. So I'll throw this one to you, Gio. Sure. So, uh, you know, when we talk about the board members, they're not exactly, they're not employees of the district, uh, and they're not likely to be filing uh, third-party legal action against the district in the event of, of bodily injury or any type of injury that they sustain while they're 
uh, on business or per or you know pursuing anything that they would be going out doing in a convention or anything like that. So with October and November coming up, we have our school boards convention and our League of Municipalities convention. It's the time to talk about it. So we do have some of the funds that we place some of our our public sector clients. They actually have the benefit within uh, their schedule of insurance. So they'll have up to, let's say, $100,000 worth of this travel accident. And really the point of it is, is we're looking to avoid lawsuits whenever we can, right? We're looking to avoid uh, mounting legal costs. The accident policies are typically no-fault policies. There does not have to be a, a lawsuit trigger in order for coverage to start. Uh, so in the event of a travel accident, these are not, again, W-2 employees. They're not eligible for workers' compensation if a board member was injured on the way, let's say, down to the Atlantic City conventions that are coming up. Um, so this piece here is going to pay for, you know, your accidental death or dismemberment or any types of injuries that are going on, including some of the uh, the medical pieces that are that are involved in that as well. And it'll cover all active and volunteer board members of a school. Um, and then it'll also extend the coverage as well to our business administrators, township administrators, assistant BAs or township uh, administrators, the superintendents uh, or assistant superintendents at a school district. So there is, uh, you know, usually two classes that can be applied and. Um, you can change the benefits. They can be around the clock. They could be for certain uh, time periods as well. Uh, and you can change, of course, the principal sums that are available. But the reason why it's important is I've had a couple now of my business administrators ask about it because board members are, of course, uh, practicing their own risk management techniques and they're concerned about any injuries that they may sustain because they're not going to be at their principal employer and they won't be eligible for workers' compensation there as well. So uh, protecting themselves is something that we always encourage and that's just something that they can go out and do. They can purchase this policy. It's relatively inexpensive based off of you know the total number of, of people that the plan's going to be covering and the total principal sum that they're talking about. Uh, but again, very easy to get, takes very little in the form of underwriting and it's something that a school can put in place if they don't have it already through their plan uh, relatively quickly. They can find that out, you know, by calling their broker. So uh, the one thing I would throw uh, in there as well is just volunteer accident coverage from the standpoint of if you're an organization like a not-for-profit or a charity or you're running an event uh, and you have volunteers that are going to be helping you set up or break down or something like that, uh, something similar to that is volunteer accident coverage where, you know, any of those folks that aren't employees are, you know, helping you out. Uh, something nice to throw them is some some protection if they were to uh, you know do some work and, and hurt themselves or something like that in the course of that volunteering. So that's also something to keep in mind. Right. Um, something to also note is uh, a lot of these coverages that are kind of these small um, you know cheaper, very fast to quote and bind coverages. We're actually going to be uh, looking for ways to automate quoting these things on our website. And so, uh, you know, if you go to Treadstone Risk in the future, uh, treadstonerisk.com, you'll find, you know, some uh, some really quick and easy ways to quote uh, these these lines of coverage. Uh, you know, down and dirty gets gets to you, you know, within a day basically, um, and and gets that, gets that put to bed. So, Great. all right. So I'm going to tee up the next one for you, John. Uh, we had a question regarding just what happened at the uh, the shift. Um, shift meeting. Uh, just remind everyone again what the shift is, just in case they're you know someone outside of the public realm that's tuning in. Uh, and uh, the specific question had to do with you know how they're doing from a loss ratio standpoint, as well as the dividend that I think they just issued. Right. So this has been a really exciting week for the schools health insurance fund, um, and that is a consortium similar to the state health benefits plan in that um, many school districts come together uh, to pool their resources, and by doing that they can get favorable pricing. Uh, on their reinsurance, on their medical, their drug, uh, and their, their dental insurance as well. So they're basically a private alternative to the state fund, is that right? Exactly. Okay. 
Um, so many of you know that the state plan renewed at 13% for this year. Uh, the last shift renewal was about 2.4%. Uh, and according to the financials, it looks like they're uh, going to have another strong renewal on 7-1 of nice. 2018. Nice. Uh, but, but there's a couple big news. So I think one of the biggest ones is when we talk to people about uh, these funds, uh, they always want to know, do they ever actually declare dividends, mm-hmm. right? So if there's more money than the fund needs, they'll, they'll give it back to you. That's the idea of a dividend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the Schiff board uh, voted on declaring $2 million in dividends mm-hmm. uh, for the school's health insurance funds. Wow. Um, so, so those schools were going to be, they can, they can receive their dividend in one of three, three ways. Uh, they can either receive a check, uh, receive a credit on a monthly bill, or they can just uh, defer receipt of the dividend uh, mm-hmm. for a later year, right? So mm-hmm. just kind of keep that on reserve. Right. Um, so that, that was one of the, the big items. Uh, another big item, uh, and this is more industry news, um, is the Lance Group uh, sold their book of business to Connor Strong, mm-hmm. um, and that was effective, I believe, on 9-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving forward, the, the groups that are in the shift uh, will remain in the shift, uh, which is good because they have a lot of large groups that help right. with the pooling. Right. Uh, they'll just be under Connor Strong now instead of the Lance Group. Um, and a few more exciting things. So we were taking a look at the loss ratio, right? So we were talking about the medical loss ratio mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. Um, and, and they have steadily been running between about 68 and 72% loss ratio. Wow. Which, as many of you know, is, is fantastic. That's incredible. Right. Um, and, and the question is, why do they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, when groups enter the shift, unlike the state plan, they're underwritten. So they assign them a rate based on their risk. Uh, and then from there, they become part of the pool uh, and receive the same renewal that everybody else does based on the, the pool's performance, right. which has been phenomenal. Uh, and just a few more big takeaways from this meeting. Um, there's actually... Uh, an issue where there's so much interest in the shift, mm-hmm. it's actually becoming hard to get in sure. on a January 1st effective date. And right now there's uh, eight or nine groups uh, that are uh, trying to enter the shift. Okay. Um, the smallest one being 31 employees, the largest one being 577. Yep. Wow. Um, so that kind of answers the question, you know, is there a right size group? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that kind of answers that, you know. Uh, right. Anybody right. is is a good size to be to become a part of this pool. Now that's a first come first serve uh, kind of situation where whoever uh, kind of makes the commitment is who gets in, and then do they have a maximum number that they'll take for for this year? Absolutely. So so their maximum growth is set at 20% every year, uh, and, and that's to make sure uh, right. that that's really just to keep underwriting in check. Sure. Right. Um, if you just let anybody come in, right. you could poison the risk pool. Right. So, so somebody who's operating at a 150% loss ratio, we don't necessarily want them to come in with a with a rate that doesn't reflect that. Right. Yeah. Um, so what they're doing is first come first serve. That's the only way to keep it fair. Sure. Right. So if the board passes a resolution um, first, you get access to the shift on one one. Uh, if you're late to the party, so to speak, um, then what the shift is doing is they will uh, keep your rate on the books, mm-hmm. and they'll allow you to enter on seven one. Okay. Um, so it's not like you're out. You just have to wait yep, right. uh, for about six more months. Um, and, and the last couple things on that meeting that, that I thought were, were pretty good. Uh, they're, they issued a vision RFP. Mm-hmm. Um, tentatively, it looks like Aetna is going to be the winner. Okay. Um, so they will be able to offer a vision program in the shift 
which is great for administrators because mm -hmm. if you do have a vision program, although it's rare, right. uh, or they call it optical, some of them, <laughs> sure. uh, then it can be lumped in with their uh, benefit administration software, uh, just to right. make it a little bit easier. Uh, and the last two things, on January 1st, they're launching a telemedicine program. Uh, it's going to be free for the members, uh, and they're going to have access to a live doctor 24-7. Uh, Wonderful. Um, and, and that's great because uh, what happens is late at night, uh, maybe a new parent uh, or somebody babysitting. I mean, there's a million reasons, right. but those tend to be the, the most common ones. Uh, if something happens with their child, mm -hmm. uh, they don't know what to do. Right? Uh, urgent care is not open. Mm -hmm. Primary care is not open. They have business hours basically yep. now. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do they do? You take them to the ER. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, an ER visit costs an arm and a leg, yep. literally. Yep. Um, so this is an alternative for the worried parent uh, or somebody who just can't make it to the doctor's office. Right. If you have a, a cold or strep throat, they can diagnose those types of things over the phone or via FaceTime, uh, and they can write a prescription if necessary. So is that so? That's a doctor or nurse case, uh, nurse practitioner. Exactly. Yeah, yep. Either yep. one, right? A okay. licensed medical professional, usually a doctor, it could be a nurse practitioner, okay. uh, but always available 24/7. Um, and the last one is. Uh, in the next few years, we anticipate that specialty drugs are going to be a huge concern for price inflation. Oh, yeah. um, so we anticipate medical trend to be around 6%, uh, which is good. You know, over the last 10 years, that's probably the lowest it's been, really. Mm -hmm. But on the Rx side, uh, we're still looking at double-digit inflation numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're looking at ways to offset costs for the member and also uh, decrease the cost of the formulary. Um, so they're looking into uh, higher performing, lower cost drugs to put on the formulary mm -hmm. and higher cost, low performing drugs to take off the formulary. That's right. fantastic. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's the last big thing. So we, we anticipate uh, strong renewals from the shift uh, in, over the next year. Uh, and we anticipate with the amount of interest and growth, uh, we're going to have strong renewals for years to come in stark contrast to the SEHBP, right. which sees all of its good risk leaving for one of these funds. Sure, sure. And, and I think the take home from that is, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Treadstone or Liberty or uh, another broker that handles your business, um, ask the question, you know, find out if it's a, a viable option for you and, you know, what it takes in order to get an indication just to find out, uh, you know, uh, the cost, but also, you know, what the structure of the coverage is and whether or not it makes sense for your, your organization. Right. All right. So uh, the last uh, question isn't so much a question. It's more of a, an observation or something that we've come across recently with uh, with our schools. But this also can, also can apply to uh, some other organizations that are out there in the private sector as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some parent-teacher organizations, which are, you know, these affiliated organizations uh, that uh, help, you know, fundraise and, and run events and things like right. that for the students in the school districts. Uh, and they've been uh, running into a little bit of, um, it hasn't really bit them from what we've seen yet, mm -hmm. but we have seen some claims in the state with, uh, with, other, with other school districts. Um, but they're running aground of some issues in terms of uh, the use of the school facilities and bringing in third-party contractors. So mm -hmm. uh, could you just kind of uh, talk about that for a little, Gio? Sure. So the goal always with these facilities usage um, forms that we have out there, and we're constantly uh, making changes to them to make sure that we're, we're updated and we can get the most risk transfer that we could possibly get uh, out of every single one of them. And there's you know, important components to each one. There's a requirement for insurance from any third party that comes in, the naming of additional insured that goes along with that. And typically, that facilities usage form can constitute the contract. Many of the 
additional insured endorsements that are on policies are only valid when required by a written contract, and that facility's usage form helps facilitate the trigger of that endorsement, and then as well as a hold harmless that gets lumped in there as well. What I do see is some of our PTOs, PTAs, booster clubs, 501c3s, any affiliated organization really is doing some great work for our school districts and our municipalities. But what I find was that they will enter into signing the facility's usage form, and they'll then be bringing on third parties and vendors. It could be amusement. It could be food. It could be any type of entertainment. But the goal of this is to transfer our risk from our school or municipality insurance program to a third party's insurance program. And by the PTO signing it or any of the foundation signing it, they are typically insured under the school or municipality program through an endorsement that provides that coverage. Our goal is to get this to a third party, and that issue that we're running afoul of most of the time is they, the PTO, sign the facility's usage form and then bring the vendor on, which essentially negates our goal of risk transfer here. We're unable to really get that done. So when we have these PTO negotiations going on, we typically like to see the facility's usage form signed by that third party that's being brought in. I guess you could ask a PTO to sign one and then have the vendor sign one as well. But really what we're looking for here is any third party that you have or you're bringing on, especially any that have any decent exposure to risk. It might be an entertainment or amusement type of company that's coming in or any food-related type of caterers or vendors that come in. We like to see them sign these contracts. It's very important that the PTO can help negotiate bringing them on and set it up and everything. But once we're entering into contracts, we're looking for the third parties to be the signers of those forms. Yeah, and I think that's a good take-home for any organization that's going to be using not just facilities from a public sector, you know, from a school district or from a municipality, but if you're borrowing facilities from anyone and then you're also bringing in someone from the outside to, you know, cater it or organize the event or something like that, you always have to make sure that that transfer of, you know, who's going to pay if there's a claim is in place. And so, you know, that's another opportunity for you to call your broker or your risk manager and really make sure that you're protecting yourself from that standpoint. Because the last thing you want to be, you know, the last thing you want is to be holding the bag on an ugly claim if you didn't have to. So, all right. Just the last kind of like news and notes item is Graham Cassidy bill died again. Looks like, you know, it's more of the same out of Washington. Um, are you going to be, uh, I think you just rolled out a new blog, right, John? Um, are you going to be uh, putting anything up to that effect? Or if there is any change, I would imagine that's going to show up there in the future. Definitely. Uh, I think myself and pretty much everybody else in the industry is just sick and tired of writing about uh, all of these bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we analyze the hell out of them, and yep. then uh, they don't go anywhere. Yep. Uh, and, and again, I think we're 0 for 4 now, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and it's just more of the same. Uh, it's it's uh, Medicaid block grants, Medicare block grants, um, and as we know, uh, inflation is out of control, right. Yep. right? So if you give somebody a defined amount of money, and you do nothing to control the growth. Right. I mean, that's clear. That's not going to work. Right. I mean, there's there's not two ways about it. Um, and and I think um, some of the Republicans, although they'd rather side with the Republican Party, know that this would just cause absolute mayhem in the right. market. Right. Right. Um, and and they can't. They you know. I mean, they're not going to be the ones to get voted out. Right. Over for that, voting yeah. for this bill. Yep. Um, so uh, you know, I think um, as as these, I'm sure they're going to try another attempt at some point. Right. Sure. It, it may not be now. It looks like they're they're looking to uh, taxes. Is, right. is their is their next big one. Yep. Um, but but what I will say is for school districts and municipalities in particular, 
our big worry uh, still remains the Cadillac tax. Mm -hmm. um, if Graham Cassidy had passed, Cadillac tax was still there. Mm -hmm. uh, if it didn't pass, still there, right? Um, so, so as we get closer to that date, what we're really looking for is guidance on the Cadillac tax. Sure. All right, great. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned, that that blog is up on your website, right? What's that? Uh, yep. What's the web, web address again? Website. So, uh, Liberty Benefit Advisors. It's lbanj.com. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I would uh, implore everyone uh, to also sign up for the Treadstone uh, Risk Management newsletter and blog. It's TRM Risk Advisor. So if you go to treadstonerisk.com, uh, it's up there on the news section. And uh, some, some good little tidbits are going to be coming out in the future, actually working on streamlining it so it takes less time to, to put something out, which would be fantastic. Um, and then uh, my last comment would be, or, or my last uh, point would be, uh, please feel free to leave us some, some feedback, whether it be commenting on this episode or emailing us or connecting to us on social media. Um, as you can see, we want to take some of these, these questions and yeah. you know, bring them to light for you. Uh, and so you know, anyone listening out there, there, uh, regardless of your position. You have right. any questions, please shoot them our way. And we'll, and we'll answer them right away. And then we'll actually, you know, if, if it's okay with you, we'll use them on our next mailbag. That's kind of how we got some of the ones today. We'll quickly get to your individual uh, needs and then we'll put them up there. So hopefully we can continue to educate everybody else out there. All right. So that's a wrap on episode four. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, just a quick reminder, call your broker. Thanks, guys. Take care.